This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our series in the first letter Peter wrote. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9, but I'm going to start reading for context from our text last week, verses 3 through 5. So we'll start in verse 3, read down through verse 9. This is God's Word. Whether you're here this morning or watching via live stream, this is God's Word. It's the most important moment of our week as a congregation. We turn our attention to God's Word and trust that He will speak to us this morning. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6 now. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Amen. Consider you have reason to rejoice this morning, even when your faith is tested through trials. That's, that's the main point. A paradox is a statement or a problem that appears to produce two entirely contradictory outcomes. In our text, Peter makes it plain to his readers that the Christian life, the, the Christian's experience of salvation 
is an emotional paradox. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials. The, the Christian life is an emotional paradox. It appears to produce entirely contradictory outcomes. There is rejoicing, and it's in the midst of trials and grieving. Paul said it like this, he was sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Now, we've probably never experienced trials like those who were the original recipients of Peter's letter have experienced or are experiencing or were experiencing at the time. We've probably never experienced that. I'm sure their trials are beyond anything I've ever experienced. I used to always say at times for fun when I was experiencing my, my kind of trials, you know, like missing a putt or the grocery store not having the kind of grapes I wanted, that sort of thing. I would, I would say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. <laughs> it's one of the sayings that Jesus spoke on the cross. It comes from Psalm 22. And it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people usually laughed and no one ever said anything to me about making this joke, although I can feel your self-righteousness rising up right now. <laughs> but I quit saying it because I was, I felt I was gently corrected by the Holy Spirit. It didn't seem funny anymore. Jesus spoke these words in the midst of unimaginable suffering that no one else has ever experienced and no one else will ever experience. He went to the cross as a substitute for sinners like me. He went there to experience the wrath of God for all those who would trust in him for their salvation. He went there and he experienced being forsaken for sins so that sinful men and women could be justified by faith and reconciled to God and not be forsaken because of their sin. Our sin was counted as his sin. 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. He's our substitute. We're reconciled to God by trusting in his finished work on the cross. The cry on the cross is a sacred cry. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And I've decided never to use it in a lighthearted way. I've never experienced great trials. No one has ever experienced greater suffering than Jesus did on the cross. Because he suffered in our place. We can rejoice in the midst of of our sufferings. Because of him, the Christian life is an emotional paradox. That's Peter's point. It changes everything about suffering and trials. The older I get, the more difficulties I experience, but I've, I've never suffered to the degree many of you in this room have. Many of you have had hard times. 
And yet I've seen you rejoice with this kind of joy because in our place condemned he stood. We have a great salvation. And we can have an abiding joy even in the midst of trials. So having described salvation in verses 3 through 5, now here in, in verses 6 through 9, Peter is drawing the attention of his readers actually to their experience. He's explaining their joy. He's giving them reasons for their joy. They are rejoicing in the midst of suffering and adversity. And he's just describing what they know to be true. This is their experience. This is the reality of every true Christian. It's a paradox. In this, verse 6, you rejoice, though now you have been grieved. You feel this grief. So here's what we can expect in our Christian lives. Number one, various trials. Number two, tested faith. And number three, inexpressible joy. Various trials. We can expect various trials, Peter says. And we learn three things about trials. They're various, they're necessary, they have a purpose, and they're short-lived. Verse 6, again, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. We experience adversity. These Christians are experiencing adversity. People, uh, Peter knows about their trials. It's a prominent theme in 1 Peter. It's one of the main reasons we're there. It drew us to 1 Peter. Because we want you to expect trials. We don't want you to be surprised by suffering. We don't want to be surprised by suffering. They are experiencing various trials. They are feeling pain. They are grieved. They're, there's grief there. It's a paradox. They're rejoicing, but they are grieved. The King James translates it, Ye greatly rejoice, though now ye are in heaviness. They feel grieved. They feel a heaviness because of these trials. And Peter's trying to encourage them. And they aren't just experiencing one kind of trial. They're experiencing various trials. Literally, many colored trials. All kinds of trials. Diversified trials. This word was used to describe the skin of a leopard. It's not just one color. Multicolored. And so his encouragement has broad application. It's varied. His counsel. Because... Their trials are varied. Think about our church, our local church. Think about the trials in, in just our local church. He's writing to different churches. This was a circular letter and it went to different churches in different locations. Think about the, the various trials in our local church. Imagine how many there would be in that many churches. We have physical trials. Various kinds. We have cancer strokes, disabilities, mysterious illnesses we can't figure out. We have relatives that are sick. We have chronic 
illnesses, we have aging. I recently tore a muscle in my arm and the doctor was trying to figure it out and he asked me if my arm hurt. I'm like, everything hurts, doc. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, everything hurts. As you get older, are you really, you get surprised when things aren't hurting. That's, that's the amazing thing. Financial trials, loss of jobs, lack of income, sometimes just overwhelming expenses hit us. Investments fail, relational trials, marriage issues, conflicts, children that rebel, fights and quarrels with extended family. If you don't have fights and quarrels with extended family, would you please stand because we, we want to know who you are. Enemies on the job, persecution. It's increasingly unpopular, isn't it, to be a Christian, to have a Christian worldview. If you try to share, Jake's trying to encourage us to share the gospel. You're going to be persecuted when you share the gospel. Right now, just living in the United States is a trial, isn't it? We've got COVID-19. We've got racial tensions exploding to the surface. An incredibly polarizing election. And now a Supreme Court justice has died. Just what we needed. Fuel to the fire. It's, it's stressful. I saw something this week about the Islamic State. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not adding that. Okay, we're done with that. I don't even want to know. We can't handle it anymore. Ye are in heaviness. Or as we used to say, it's heavy, man. Believers are, are sorrowful. This is not a joke. They are experiencing, they are really grieving. They're rejoicing, but they're grieving. It's a major theme of this letter. It's such a gift to know, yeah, you can rejoice. And you can rejoice not in some make-believe world, but in the real world where there is heaviness. Another thing we learn about trials, Peter says, verse 6, though now for a little while, if necessary... If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. The next thing we learn, sometimes trials, according to Peter, are necessary. They have a divine purpose. God has a purpose. Oh, this is important. This is so good. There are many kinds of trials, and they are sometimes necessary Peter knows trials aren't an accident. He knows that God is sovereign. He knows these trials come into our life for a reason. They have a divine purpose. They come from our loving Heavenly Father. They are never needless. They are necessary. He wants his readers, the Lord wants us to know today, he's in control your trial has a purpose. Future trials, various trials have a purpose. He firmly believed in the reality of God's sovereign presence 
in the midst of the church. This morning, this God the Holy Spirit is present among us. The Spirit of Christ is present among us. He is with us. He is with you. He was with you this week in the midst of your trial. And He providentially governs our life. That's what we mean by God's providence. He's in control. Again, verse 6, if necessary. Verse 7, so that. That's a purpose statement. So that, if necessary, various trials, so that. There's a purpose. It's so comforting to know these trials are designed by God for a reason. They only happen if God wills them. And he only wills them if they are necessary. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We're going to see it again and again and again in 1 Peter. So their faith will be built when we walk through various trials. We can and should trust God when we experience adversity because he is faithful. It's very important. Here's what my historical hero, John Flavel, who wrote the best book on providence ever written in the church, The Mystery of Providence. Here's what he says. How great a pleasure it is to discern how the most wise God is providentially steering all the boats. He pastored it with, with sailors. He had a lot of sailors, so he was always talking about boats. The most wise God, is, wise God is providentially steering all the boats to the port of his own praise and his people's happiness. Oh, reader, if your heart is spiritual and well-stocked with experience, if you have recorded the ways of providence towards you, and will but allow yourself time to reflect on them. What a life of pleasure may you live. And if you're young, just get with some of us old people. We'll tell you stories. You'll be so bored, but you will be encouraged. What a life of pleasure when we think about his sovereign, providential governance of our lives. And finally, about trials, Peter says, though now for a little while, verse 6, in an effort to comfort them, he reminds them that all these trials are transient. They don't stay long. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about his trials, which he called a sentence of death. He despaired of life. But here's what Paul said about his trials. This is why Paul was not depressed when he went through adversity. 2 Corinthians 4, we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, he called it a sentence of death. He despaired. He lost hope that he was going to live. But it's a light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. They don't perish. They last. Trials are short-lived. Secondly, we can expect various trials, but secondly, we can expect tested faith. Trials have a purpose. They are necessary. They are sent to test our faith. Again, verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Gold is not imperishable like faith. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Christ returns at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice that the, the word Peter uses, trials here, it's a reference to a process. Trials are a purifying process. They have a purpose. They are necessary. They will display something in a person's life for the glory of God. Something that's more valuable than gold. They, and they make that thing, faith, that's more valuable than gold, they make it better. God brings and allows trials, various trials, difficult circumstances, adversity into our lives so our faith will be seen and our faith will be strengthened. They test, they purify what is good in us. They bring what is not good in us to the surface, don't they? So it can be removed. The tested, verse 7, genuineness of your faith. More precious than gold. Major theme in Peter. One of the main reasons we're here. Your faith. We've come together. We've gathered together. You're watching via live stream today. To encourage your faith. Man, that's the goal. So we are proclaiming God's word today. We are looking at God's word. Because it will build your faith. You've lived in a culture all week that isn't building your faith. It's not encouraging your faith. You've got relationships, not, not helping your faith. Well, you come here on Sunday morning, we're going to sing and we're going to preach and we're going to prophesy and we're going to pray. And when you leave, I think your faith's going to be built by the grace of God. That's why we're here. And trials are a means of testing your faith. God has a purpose for these trials. That faith is more precious than gold, and it's proved genuine in the midst of a trial. Gold is the most precious metal on earth, but gold has to be refined. Because when you find gold, sometimes it exists with less precious metals. Sometimes it is in the dirt. It's got impurities. And so it has to be refined. Pure gold has to be separated from all the other metals and all the impurities. So it's put into a furnace. 
and heated up. And it becomes a liquid. And then all the impurities, all the less precious comes to the top. And it can be rem removed. Then you have pure gold. 24 karat gold. These, these trials are like a furnace. And faith is purified when it's tested. When we experience difficulties. Fiery trials just make our faith solid, pure, strength, stronger. You notice when you go through a trial, sometimes I'm sure that you don't trust God. That you get impatient, that you get angry. We complain, not me, but you complain. I complain all the time. I'm a world famous complainer. We have a sinful tendency, don't we? At times in the midst of a trial, instead of trusting God, we put our faith in our money or we put our faith in our friends or we put our faith in our positions. We run to an idol instead of the living God. All these impurities hinder us from a full experience with God that He wants us to have. He wants us to experience His goodness. He wants us to experience His greatness. And all these impurities, they hinder that. So He allows, because He loves us, He allows these, these trials, these difficulties, various trials to come into our life so that our faith that's more precious than gold is purified. We're tested and tried. He has a good purpose he strengthens our faith. It's proven genuine. It's made genuine through trials. Paul gives an example in his own life. He gives specifics in 2 Corinthians 1. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We were depressed. We were discouraged. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But there was a purpose in it. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Even the Apostle Paul had his faith tested. He gives, after the fact, he saw the specific purpose God had. Oh, I see. Now I know why we had a sentence of death. So we wouldn't rely on ourselves. We wouldn't be self-sufficient. We'd see, you know what? We've come to an end of self-sufficiency. See, this is good. It doesn't feel good at the time. It's heavy, man. We're grieved. We're sorrowful. We feel it. And now when you look back, you go, oh man, God was teaching me. You can't rely on yourself. You're going to come to an end of that at some point. At some point in your life, you're going to find out that's not going to work. I encourage you to do it sooner rather than later. It'll bring much joy in your life. I usually ask people for permission to do this. I didn't ask Matt and Leslie Thornberry if I could. So I'm probably in trouble here. But they're adopting and they did a garage sale. 
And they've already experienced various trials in the adoption process. I get play-by-play from my daughter-in-law. The garage sale alone, we, we took some stuff over this week to the garage sale. I looked at the garage sale and, well, that, that's a trial right there. This is a trial. And, and they have young children they're raising. That's definitely a trial. They're working hard amidst all these other responsibilities and they're adopting and you want to just say, hey, maybe you guys should just take a vacation instead, you know? Do a garage sale and just take a vacation because it looks like a trial. But what I was struck with, probably because I wasn't feeling too joyful that night, was their joy. Wow, they were happy. This was, I, I saw a happy husband, a happy wife, happy kids. They were all happier than me, and I was just dumping my stuff there and getting out of town. But it makes sense. It makes perfect sense in light of this text, doesn't it? Trials, various trials and difficulties and adversity purify and strengthen our faith. And the result is just an inexpressible joy. You know, in our culture, you're told, you know what really brings joy is comfort and ease. It's that vacation. It's not true. That's not true. The most precious thing is faith, not gold. And these tests reveal genuine faith and they strengthen, they prove it genuine. Here's what John Calvin, he, he gives us the best definition of faith I've ever read. Faith is a firm and certain knowledge of God's goodwill to us, which being founded on the free promise given in Jesus Christ, is revealed to our minds and sealed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Take you a week to read through that real slow, but that's it. It's a firm, it's a certain knowledge of God's goodwill to us based on the promise of Christ. It's revealed by the Spirit. It's a, it's a living promise. We have a living hope because Jesus has been raised from the dead and the Spirit of Christ is with us. And we, we have a firm and certain knowledge based on this word through the living and active Spirit of God's good will to us. That's faith. And this faith is tested when life is difficult, isn't it? But it becomes better, it becomes purified, it becomes proven, strengthened. And that's why these various trials are sometimes necessary. Because the Lord values faith. God loves faith. It's tested in this life. It's the center of Peter's concern in this text. Verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith. Verse 8, though you don't now see him, you believe in him. Verse 9, the outcome. You're going to obtain the outcome of your faith. Faith, this faith, this firm and certain knowledge of God. That's what this is about. 
Now let's think for a minute. What about those who fall away from the Lord? What do we do when that happens? What do we do when there are trials and some don't make it? Well, don't be surprised when faith is tested. That's the point of this text. Faith is tested. And what happens when it's tested? Well, sometimes we see in a person's life that their faith isn't genuine. And we should not be surprised by that. If your friend goes away to college and the next time you see them, they've decided, I'm no longer a Christian. Their faith was tested and it wasn't genuine. If your, your uncle loses all his money in the stock market, he turns away from God and quits going to church, understand he was tested by a trial and his faith wasn't a true faith. It wasn't a genuine faith. Pray for your friend. Pray for your uncle. Encourage them. Reach out to them. And in the midst of that trial, pray the Lord would purify and strengthen your faith. Don't let their unbelief discourage you. Don't let it discourage your genuine faith. And they will try. They will try to discourage you. If you don't join them, it makes them look like they're wrong. Don't be surprised. When faith is tested. So we have reason for great joy in the midst of trials, don't we? God has a design for them, a good design. He doesn't delight in pain and suffering for their own sake. He's up to good things. He's testing our faith. And he's guiding all these circumstances. Because he has better purposes. He has higher purposes. Sometimes... A trial is when someone sins against us. He doesn't approve of that, but he doesn't always prevent them, does he? He allows it to happen for his own good purposes. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember his brother sold him into slavery. At the end of the day, as Joseph looked back, his brothers were afraid. He, they were going to be in trouble because God had blessed Joseph. Here's what Joseph said in Genesis 50. As for you... Brothers, you meant evil against me. Lord doesn't approve of that. What does the Lord do? Well, he uses it for good. But God meant it for good. He allowed that to happen. He allowed you to sell me into slavery. He allowed you to throw me into a pit. He meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. The Lord does that again and again and again. In our lives. Most importantly, it was the will of the Lord to bruise Christ on the cross. That was evil. Evil men killed him. God allowed that. Christ was murdered. It was sin, but God willed it to happen so we could be reconciled to him. And he does it again and again. He has a divine purpose for all the various trials we experience. Sherry, Sherry and I can't draw. She's not here. We can't sing. 
We just know how to have a good time. The funny thing is my sister can draw and her sister can draw. And we have, we have a daughter-in-law that's, that's really a wonderful artist. We have some of her pictures in our home. And I'm always amazed when I look at her pictures because of how hard it is for me to draw anything. And then I look and I think, wow, she takes a paintbrush and she starts painting and you get this beautiful picture. It, it's, it's as close to a miracle as you can get, in my opinion. I just think, how could someone do that? How can you make something so beautiful? It's a, it must be a wonderful gift. And my point is, the Lord's an artist. He's a miracle worker. He takes all these trials, everything in life, and he paints a beautiful picture so that at the end of your life, you're going to look and see, wow, I could never do that. But he did that. And it's amazing. And we can trust him. Finally, we, we should expect trials. We should expect our faith to be tested. And paradoxically, we should expect, in the midst of it all, inexpressible joy. Inexpressible joy. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These are, this is not a command. There are no commands in the first 12 verses of 1 Peter. This is an observation. He's not commanding, okay, go out there and, and have inexpressible joy, and I don't want to hear anything about it. That is not what Peter is doing. He's declaring the truth to them, and they are going, well, yeah, that's right. We have inexpressible joy. They haven't seen him. They're not eyewitnesses. This affected Peter because he was an eyewitness. They had never seen him. They never had personal contact. And it was a great source of joy to him to see, wow, they have genuine faith. Even though they never were with the Savior. They had never seen him. There was no spiritual disadvantage. Isn't that amazing? They accepted Peter's testimony. He was an apostle. He had the word of the Lord. The Spirit was with him so that he communicated, I'm a witness for Jesus Christ. This is who he is. This is what he did. And this is what he is doing. And they received his testimony, and they believed. And for him, it was a source of great joy. I see in you the faith that I have. They had a relationship with Christ. Christ was their treasure. Many people saw Jesus with their physical eyes. Peter knew this and never believed. They didn't have faith. 
There is a, a spiritual seeing in the heart. There is a reality about Jesus that you can only see with your heart. And you, are, you have no spiritual disadvantage if you can't see him with your physical eyes. But if you don't see him with the eyes of your heart, no blessing. In fact, Jesus said there's a special blessing for those who don't see him. Remember he told Doubting Thomas in John 20, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you believe in him and rejoice with an inexpressible joy. Paul said to the Galatians, what has at one point, they've turned aside from the gospel and he says to them at one point, what has happened to all your joy? Because when I was there, I remember the joy and it's gone. What happened to it? It's a good question for us to ask this morning. What has happened to your joy? Why don't you have this joy? My guess is you're going through a trial. And this word is meant to strengthen your faith and encourage your joy. And God, the Holy Spirit, is present this morning. And by grace, we'll take his word and you'll be transformed and have inexpressible joy this week like you didn't have last week. I believe that. I believe that. Even if you're listening via live stream, I constantly have you on my mind. I don't know where to look. I, don't, I never know where the camera is. Are you over there, you know? But for those of you who have have been at home and the pastors have tried to be in contact with you. I believe the Lord's going to answer our prayers and that you're going to prosper in your soul through his word. Here's again, John Calvin. He says this, to comprehend the nature and power of faith. Now this is not an easy quote. So you got to stick with me. To comprehend the nature and power of faith, we should turn to God's word. I think you'll get the main point. With which it has so close a link and affinity that nothing else can gauge its measure. Faith and God's word are connected. So this faith that's more precious than gold is connected to God's word. For the word is faith's objective and its goal. To which it must forever look. If it turns away from it, it's no longer faith. Now, remember, this is God's word. The word is the foundation on which faith rests and is supported. Once it's removed, faith immediately topples. The word is withdrawn. Faith ceases to exist. And that's why I believe as you sit here today and you hear God's word, I expect your faith to be strengthened. And I expect inexpressible joy. In this, verse 6, you rejoice. In this, in what? What's he talking about in verse, in this you rejoice? Well, he's referring back to verses 3 through 5, which is why I wanted to 
to read them, he's talking about the great mercy. He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's talking about living hope. In this, you rejoice in all these trials. In this, verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Of course you love him. Verses 3 through 5, you love him. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice. With joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So let's conclude with the outcome, verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation. And Peter gets very personal here of your soul. Verse 9. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your soul. I wish I could go through every individual. Say your name. Your soul the salvation, that's the outcome. Salvation of your soul. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Edmund Hybert, a commentator, says, now the, now the faith of Peter's readers was being rewarded with scoffing, rejection, and persecution, but when the Lord Jesus returns, the scene will be reversed. <laughs> That's the living hope we have. So right now, our faith is not being encouraged, but on that great day, the revelation of Jesus Christ, everything's going to be exactly the opposite of what it is right now. Everything's going to be exactly the opposite. So we are grieving by, because of various trials, but we don't grieve like the world grieves, like other people. We grieve in a different way. My friend Anna Shasted had a stroke. She came to church a few weeks ago. I had the privilege to talk to her. She was smiling from ear to ear, a picture of joy. She's not grieving in a normal way. She has a living hope. Her faith has been tested. It's a genuine faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Trust, Lord, that through your Spirit, Lord, you will build our faith and strengthen our faith and purify our faith, Lord. Let this be a congregation that loves your Word. Let us love your Word. Let us turn our attention to your Word. Let us study your Word. Let us live our lives based on your Word. And Lord, build our faith. So that in the midst of any and every difficult circumstances, Lord, we will be filled with joy. I pray that, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. 
To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.